Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson vill jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, yeah! Karlsson, Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who's putting out so much content. I wonder if our number of episodes will ever catch up to Alex Ovechkin's number of goals. I am your host, Ilan Dubrowski, and once again, it's just like, just kidding, because it's, I'm not your host for today. It's going to be Ben Burnett, once again, taking the mic to talk to Samantha Pell all about the Washington Capitals and their very interesting offseason where they've totally revamped what they're doing in net. They've got, you know, I guess aside from that, it's not too exciting. They signed Dylan Strom. They traded for uh, Connor Brown. We'll, obviously, Ben will get into all of that with Samantha. I think you're in for a good one. Before we get to that, a couple housekeeping items. First of all, Keeping Carlson, very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. Uh, it's really exciting to be able to say that every episode because that's the number one source for all your needs fantasy hockey-wise, including that awesome Dauber guide that you're definitely going to want to get before draft season and uh, the prospects guide, which is already out. I actually just did a dynasty draft for my league, and I had the ninth and 10th pick, if anyone's curious. I've got Pavel Minchikov and Marco Kasper. And, you know, I know Marco Kasper, the whole thing, like he doesn't have this like super high offensive upside, but our league counts face-offs, it counts hits. So, you know, and plus the Iserman, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. Maybe he'll be the second line center. Anyways, people probably don't care about that, but that's basically what where my mind has been at all day. Uh, what else can I tell you? Okay, well, I want to give a quick shout out to the patrons of Keeping Carlson for keeping these episodes coming all throughout the off season. We, of course, all collectively lost our minds with the news of the Matthew Kachuk trade yesterday. I'm recording this, by the way, on Saturday night here. And yeah, that was just wild. And Brian and I are, of course, going to break it all down. Kachuk for Huberdo, Uyghur, a pick. Wow. Like, how does it make it? But I actually, you know, here's a little spoiler for that episode. I kind of think it's a win-win. So yeah, Brian and I will definitely get into that. So make sure you're subscribed to our feed. Also make sure if, you, if you're if you just a big Caps fan, I definitely recommend going back and listening to Ben's previous interview that we released a couple days ago with Jesse Granger about the Vegas Golden Knights. That was a really fun interview. It was really good for like getting people excited for the season. One of our patrons, Andy S, posted in our Discord saying how that interview was really getting him pumped up for hockey and uh yeah nerding out about it and you know, it's true it's like talking through the the eichel trade and the fallout it was all very interesting and obviously jesse or i shouldn't say obviously because we've had some beat writers who weren't so high on their teams but jesse thinks that the uh, golden knights might actually surprise some people who may be a little more down on them than they should be and specifically maybe too down on jack eichel himself but okay, uh, you'll check that out if you haven't yet. I, I promise you'll like that. Uh, also, Brian and I did a, a two-part episode last weekend, breaking down a lot of the UFA action from the week before. We didn't cover it all. So yeah, we're going to be having an episode coming soon, <laughs> recording that tomorrow night on Sunday about the latest trades and then the remaining UFAs. I know our friend Shams is, is eagerly awaiting for us to talk about the Detroit Red Wings, so we'll try our best to not keep him waiting. But okay, I guess enough blabbering for me. Did I mention that you go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron to join our ranks as a patron. If not, check it out. We'd appreciate it. We'd also appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. Okay, now clearly I'm just stalling. So let's cut over to Ben's interview with Samantha Pell about the Washington Capitals. Enjoy. Welcome back to Keeping Carlson. I am your host, Ben Burnett, for tonight's 
edition of the Beat Writer interview series, and I am joined by a returning guest, one of our favorites, Samantha Pell from the Washington Post. We're going to chat all things Washington Capitals today. Samantha, how are you doing uh, on this? Uh, we just sort of talked about it off air, but this extended off season that you're experiencing this year with the Caps out in the first round. Yeah, it's been kind of nice, oddly. Uh, I feel like this ne- this last season was kind of the first time we almost had a full season, you know, no really big COVID errors, no short right. season. So it was nice to be able to get out and travel on the road again. And I actually was fortunate enough to go and cover the Stanley Cup and um, you know, do a lot of travel there. So it's been nice now to kind of relax after the draft and free agency and, you know, just kind of uh, waiting around and seeing how things play out. And I, this feels like a really interesting off season for Washington. Like I recall in the pre, you know, pre 2018, before they, they got over the hump and won the cup, every off season was just an indictment of Ovechkin and, you know, not being able to win and, and all these things, all these questions. I feel like now no one really talks about the Capitals too much. Um, even though this off season, they were one of the bigger players, I would say in particular, you know, Brian McClellan, I think understood the assignment this summer, <laughs> looked at the goaltending situation and decides, okay, we're going to trade away Vanacek. We're not going to qualify Sam Sonoff. And then he gives Darcy Kemper this five-year, $26 million deal. Mm-hmm. From my perspective, that that feels like the whole bet. How much of the Caps' success next year do you think depends on Kemper coming in and being, you know, that workhorse number one goalie? Oh, I think it's going to be, you know, make or break the capital season, honestly. I think from the Washington side of things, they tried to put their trust in these two young goalies and Samsonov and Vanacek for the last two years. And it really didn't pan out. And as McClellan said a couple of weeks ago, time basically ran out for the Capitals to wait and see who could emerge to be the guy. And no one ever did. So they had to go and turn away from both of them, which I think was a huge surprise for a lot of people. I think everyone thought they would keep one and they ended up having zero uh, headed into the first day of free agency, but it opened the door to go get, you know, a guy in Darcy Kemper who, you know, he's not going to have competition. The Capitals did sign backup goalie Charlie Lindgren, so he'll be there. But this is Darcy's net. This is Darcy's team basically behind Alex Ovechkin. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the Capitals do with an actual solid, competent presence uh, backing them up. And so, you know, I'm I'm old enough to remember when Samsonov was coming over from Russia because mm-hmm. that was just that was very recent. And it felt like he was an extreme. Well, I mean, he was he was a very hyped prospect coming over um, as someone who follows the Caps really mainly from a fantasy perspective. Mm-hmm. I've been surprised by the 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 underwhelming performance Samsonov had for the Caps. But I'm I'm more surprised to see them cut ties with this kid who's 25 years old very recently was viewed as one of the better goalie prospects in the league. Were you surprised by the decision to move on from him this early in the career? And do you think there's a possibility the Caps end up regretting that call? I I think everything's going to be hindsight, you know, but I do think they're going to probably end up regretting it a little bit, um, depending on how things go the next couple of years. I mean, you're right. You know, he's 25. He was a first round talent. He has all the athleticism in the world really to become one of these top goalies. And obviously everyone, you know, he is a Russian player. So the guy that everyone tries to compare him to is Andre Vasilevsky. And he's a bigger guy. If you put some weight on, he seems like he could have the build and the frame to be a really good goalie. He has the instincts. It's just, 
it's honestly a lot of mental. It's the mental side of it. You know, he's had a lot of setbacks and that he had a big ATV accident a couple summers ago. He was on the COVID list twice. Uh, it just really disrupted his whole season. And it felt like, I think from the capital side of things that it was just kind of one too many off ice things added all up. And then he couldn't really make up for it on the ice with his performance every night. And so I think it's one of those situations where, like I said earlier, they're really trying to give him all the chances to be their guy and to be the number one goalie. But in the end, they felt like they just couldn't waste any more time, especially in you know these prime Alex Ovechkin years to keep on waiting for him to finally put everything together. And it just is so interesting because it feels so rare that a player at that age who was so recently, like especially with goaltenders where we don't necessarily see a linear performance um, progression, Mm -hmm. I guess. And uh, I guess my question is like the Leafs wind up getting Samsona for a fairly cheap good deal bet yeah very good deal was the qualifying number much higher is that is that why Washington didn't just do the same thing yeah they their estimation their projection was around it could be up to 3.5 million they were thinking anywhere in the 3 to 3.5 you know ballpark Vitek Vanacek's a good example of this he went out and uh, they traded him to New Jersey and New Jersey just signed him to a three-year 3.4 million dollar contract AAV um, so they basically expected around the same for Samsonov and the Capitals felt that Samsonov would be their backup headed into next season, whether they liked it or not. And three to 3.5 was way too much for them to be paying Samsonov as a backup. Yeah, it makes sense. They did. It, this did feel the Kemper deal. I mean, really felt like the shot was called before, Absolutely. Uh, you know, maybe one of those tampering deals that we sometimes <laughs> hear about where it felt like, you know, they cleared all the space and then all of a sudden, oh, it, it did work out. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like to your point, like I think the Capitals knew who they wanted, you know, before all of this. They were like, we need a number mm-hmm. one, Darcy Kemper. You're running a Stanley Cup. You probably aren't going to stay with Colorado. Like they probably knew very, very early on that was their guy. And in fairness, too, I mean, it it does seem to be very risky to be giving money to any goaltender for a couple of seasons. But when you look at like the deal that Jack Campbell got to go mm-hmm. to Edmonton, very comparable to the Kemper numbers. And he has not put up those Kemper, that Kemper yep. uh, level of play to this point. So it feels like the, the capitals, at least from a market perspective, got a pretty solid deal. Yeah. And I think five, two, five, two, I think a lot of people thought it would be higher initially. I think I remember mm-hmm. hearing 6 million initially mm-hmm. and I thought, Oh my, like that's an overpay. Not sure if the Capitals would, you know, need to do that, but they might in the market. So I thought Brian McClellan and whatever he did to make it 5.25 for five is is a good deal. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think a very comparable contract is that Grubauer deal where he yeah. leaves Colorado, mm-hmm. goes and signs in Seattle for six. I think it was six point something. Mm-hmm. I can't. But like, I definitely figured at least like Stanley Cup winning goalie Darcy yeah. Kemper would get <laughs> six million. Anyway, uh, good for I, hopefully good for the Capitals. I definitely would like to see a competitive Caps team with uh, with Alex Ovechkin in the back half of his thirties. Um, and let's jump up to forward. Let's let's chat about Ovi. Um, another season, Russian machine, still never breaking. Mm-hmm. Fifty goals, ninety points uh, in his age thirty six season. Every off season, the question with Ovi is always: Is this the year he tails off? Mm-hmm. Is this the year? I'm not going to entertain that option this year. I feel like it's a fool's errand to try and predict ahead. Instead, I'm kind of curious to ask you, like, where do you think Ovi's head is heading into 2023? Like, 
prior to the cup win, it was it was very clear. That's what he he wanted the Caps to win a cup. Mm-hmm. They get the cup. He comes back. He wins back to back Rocket Richard trophies the next two years. The team's results have really stalled since then. What do you think Ovechkin is thinking about and motivated to do next year? I mean, I think the like politically correct answer from him probably is he wants to go win another cup. Obviously, um, but I do think, right, yeah. <laughs> I do think you know him resigning with the Capitals for five years is no coincidence that he wanted five years to go chase Gretzky's record. I think all eyes are going to be on him. He wants to go out and get it. I think I think I've said this a couple times throughout the years of you know can he actually catch Gretzky? I do think he can catch Gretzky now. Uh, I do yeah. think he's motivated. <laughs> I. I think he signed this contract knowing he wants to do it and he's going to do everything in his power to do that while helping the team win. So I think obviously there's going to be some renewed sense of confidence with Darcy and net. They had some really good guys with Dylan Strom and Connor Brown. And I think it's going to be a really interesting look at the team early on to see how, you know, Ovechkin can carry them and Kuznetsov can carry them. So I, I think he's going to be really motivated this season. And, you know, a lot of people thought, maybe before the off season that the Capitals wouldn't be the greatest team ahead into next year. Maybe it'd be a rebuild time. But I do think with these new acquisitions and free agency that it's kind of opened the door maybe more than people thought, maybe more than Alex honestly thought. It's kind of fun to to think of it the way too of like watching the Penguins similarly yeah. like re, like bet again on that Crosby Malkin core. And just like, you know, as somebody who grew up on those like Crosby Ovechkin and their younger years, NHL seasons, like what a fun thing to sort of see these these teams reload and and give it another shot with that group. I I don't know. I don't cheer for much when I when I'm thinking about the NHL. I, I mainly think about you know fantasy at this point. Yeah. But I'm definitely like 100. percent Maybe the thing I'm cheering for most now in the NHL is to watch Ovi go and and chase that record because how fun would that be to see that get broken? Oh, and it's so good for the sport. I mean, everyone mm-hmm. knows how big this. I mean, I think everyone should know <laughs> how important this goal's <laughs> record is, and just you know, everyone should know the way you know the name Wayne Gretzky and how much this would mean to see in this era. Uh, for a player to go out and do this, and Novi might be the only player to ever go out and be able to do this. So I think for him, you know, he still loves the game. He's still excited. He has two kids now. He, in all my conversations with him, has always kind of preached family first, and he wants to be able to go out and play for as long as his kids can kind of remember him playing. So right now they're a little young. They might not remember it, but you play for another four years, I'm sure they're going to remember it. So I think for him, it's going to be exciting. It's exciting for the game, exciting for, you know, the Capitals, obviously. And he's going to have a big task ahead of him, honestly, without, you know, Nicholas Backstrom for the majority, if not the entire season. Right. And so I think the one other thing that kind of just like the elephant in the room when it comes to Ovi and and maybe the Capitals in general, because they have a fairly sizable Russian uh, group is you know, the the issues of visas and these things that have impacted potential, have the potential at least to impact um, players returning to the NHL. I don't uh, presume to think that you would have like insight or or rather inside info on that front. But I, I'm just curious if you have any sort of inkling on whether the, the Caps expect to have hiccups in that regard with any of their players. Yeah, as of now, no. Brian McClellan actually talked to us uh, today's Thursday, yesterday, Wednesday, and uh, basically said that he doesn't foresee any concerns. It's only Alex Ovechkin and Dmitry Orlov are in Russia. 
Evgeny Kuznetsov is actually back in the U.S. So from that standpoint, um, they don't have any concerns right now. The Russians players back there don't really seem to have any concerns. So as of now, no. Uh, can things change? Obviously, yes. We're still a long way from training camp and the start of the season. But from all things from the Washington side, they're willing to help in any way possible. But it seems like everyone is pretty confident they'll get back here on time. Happy to hear that. That's uh, That should be very exciting to see Ovi chase that record over the next few years. Um, definitely want to talk about Kuznetsov next. Uh, I recall from our conversation last year, there was a lot of discussion that if a trade could be found for Kuznetsov, McClellan would definitely be interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then last year, Kuznetsov comes back, puts up a point per game after three straight years of declining production, largely while playing shotgun with Ovechkin. He sees a big uptick in power play time. Obviously, part of that is is going to be due to Backstrom's uh, missing the, the chunk of the first mm-hmm. half of the year. Do you think that at this point, uh, Kuznetsov's performance has kind of closed the the trade rumor window behind him after last year? I, I definitely think so. I think when we saw Kuznetsov last season, it was kind of shocking, I think I'll say, uh, just to see how consistent he was. He is typically a player that we've seen, you know, go through lulls and the ups and the downs and you have him at one game, you know, scoring a couple points and then he'll go 10 straight without one point. Uh, but it seemed like last season he was really consistent. He was really motivated. He was playing with Alex Ovechkin and really getting that shot uh, to do out and be a playmaker. And for him, when I talked to him early on in the season last year, he said he was honestly just going out there to try to prove people wrong. He took a lot of things that people said to heart and just wanted to say, hey, I know I'm better than this. Let me go out and let me show you. And he went out and he goes to his first all-star game and he's you know setting all these records for himself. And I think it's going to be a really big storyline this season to see if that was kind of a one year, okay, whatever, and I'm going to go back to my up and down. Or is it going to be, this is a turn the page, new leaf Kuznetsov, who the Capitals will, will really need for a couple of years. And do you think, uh, like, do you think that playing with Ovi so consistently is, is a big piece there? Or do you think that this is a player who, you know, Laviolette can kind of move him around the lineup and, and expect that he'll continue to, to be a, somebody who can move the needle offensively? My personal opinion, I think he should play with the best playmakers. And I think that's when he's at his best. Mm-hmm. I think he might struggle if maybe he loses interest or, you know, things aren't going their way and he has to kind of pick it up on both sides of the ice. I think he sets off his best when he plays with a offensive mindset guy like Alex Ovechkin and a Tom Wilson next to him or a TJ Oshier, people that he can depend on. And he knows are going to be in the spots where he can deliver the puck to them because it's not easy to play with Evgeny Kuznetsov and uh, players (laughs) on the ice know that. (laughs) Right. Um, The Capitals have two major pieces up front with big injuries uh, and long timelines on them. Tom Wilson underwent knee surgery in May. He's looking at six to eight months of recovery. Um, I want to talk about Nick Backstrom first, though. He missed the first half of last season with a hip injury, and then this offseason has undergone a hip resurfacing procedure, which, from what I read, is very similar to a hip replacement, but different. Mm-hmm. Um, and Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff reported that, or, or pointed out, I guess, that only two NHLers have had this procedure before. Uh, one was Ryan Kessler, who never played another NHL game. The other was Ed Jovanovsky, who came back for about half a season and then retired. 
internally in Washington, how much fear is there that Backstrom doesn't return as a core member of this team? I think there's a lot of fear. I think at the end of the season, uh, there wasn't a decision made of whether Backstrom would have surgery or not. It was actually probably more serious than a lot of people thought um, mm-hmm. during, you know, exit interviews. I remember, you know, people were asking other players about Backstrom and, oh, like he was such a warrior to come back and even play the back half of last season with the injuries. And every single player was like, oh, have you guys talked to Nick yet? Like, have you asked him about what it was like? And it was one of those situations where it almost sounded like a retirement situation. Like, oh, uh, have you talked to this guy yet? Like, I don't want to say anything before you talk to him. And so it was a very weird, you know, mood situation to be in. And, you know, even Backstrom said, yeah, like, I don't know what I'm going to do at this point. I don't know if surgery is what I need to do. But uh, McClellan said that the way that Nick was performing, he just couldn't go on. He needed to do something. And if something was retiring or something was surgery, we didn't know at the time. Now we know it was surgery and he's going to try and play. So internally right now, it seems like the team's optimistic that he does come back and play at some point this season, but there's no timeline. There's no, you know, December, January, February benchmark. It's just, they're going to see how he heals. They're going to see how he feels. And if he feels better, you know, month after month on the ice, they're going to give it a shot. But Really, this is a surgery that's going to benefit him in his lifestyle. It's not a surgery entirely that's going to cure him for specifically on the ice stuff. And so with Tom Wilson, and actually, I I just have to pause and just say, if that's it for Nicholas Backstrom, like, I hope people understand and respect just how incredible a career he had. Like, he wasn't just some guy like skating with Ovechkin, who, you know, the greatest goal scorer ever maybe like turned into one of the better assist distributors ever like those two had legitimately like some of the greatest like Yari Curry Wayne Gretzky chemistry Mm -hmm. like maybe not quite at that level but like in the in the stratosphere of guys who are are in that next tier and uh, a guy who you know if you were watching that 2018 cup run you were just as happy for Nicholas Backstrom as anyone else on that Caps team oh absolutely and I think in Washington especially you know they see Alex and Backstrom as hand in hand they're going to go down together. They're probably going to have a statue somewhere together. Um, they're just the two pillars of this organization. And I think for Nick, uh, I know that he's going to try and come back and give it all he can to come back. But you're right. If this is it, uh, it's really unfortunate for not only Nick and the team, but the sport as well. But, you know, hopefully we'll see a we'll see a recovery and uh, maybe we'll see him at some point this season. That was, yes, I, I hope so. And hearing you, I was I was just about to ask about the statue. If if we could get both of them in there, I'm glad <laughs> to hear that that's that's part of the discussion. Looking at uh, Tom Wilson, then the timeline uh, given seems to put him anywhere between late November to late January. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sort of sense on where that where he might land, or are you just waiting on on updates closer to the season? Yeah, it seems for right now his timeline and recovery is on schedule, maybe a little bit um, ahead of schedule. But I would still say around that December timeline. I think late November is probably like best, best, best case scenario. And they need Mm -hmm. him immediately because they're going to maybe fall out of a playoff spot um, in early November situation. Uh, So I think I would probably shoot for that December, maybe even January timeline. I think it's one of those things where the team's probably going to play it a little bit more safe than sorry. If things are going well, Uh, this is a guy that the capital C as their future captain. And so I think anything that would 
set him back or try to rush him in too soon is something that the Capitals do not want. And they're going to take their time and make sure everything's all set there. And last year when we chatted, I recall you talking about Wilson as a guy who you thought could become, like, take another step offensively. Um, he seems to be sort of at this point in his career, it's it's his fourth year in a row around that the mid 50 point pace mm-hmm. uh, last year, pace for 55. Um, anything changed for you in that front? Do you, do you still see him as a guy who may have another level to his game when he returns from injury this year? Yeah, I, I do think this year is going to be hard because any guy, as you know, like coming off ACL surgery, they're not going to look like themselves, uh, in that next year or so. So maybe this season will be the one anomaly to the Tom Wilson year. Uh, but I do think he has another, you know, step in his game. And I do think you know, he's not really, he's not on the first unit power play right now. And he's on the second unit when he maybe gets more time there, when some guys start to drop off, then I can see some, you know, increase in his points per game. And, you know, honestly, a lot of these situations, he's got a little bit more confidence and maybe more chances on the ice because of less penalties because of less suspensions. Uh, He's just honestly playing in more games. So (laughs) I I think that combined with the style and, you know, he was getting a lot faster and playing with all these really smart players that trust Mm -hmm. him with the puck. Now uh, it really helps. So maybe not this season, but pencil it in for next year. I I could see a Tom Wilson, another breakout year. That'd be, I mean, I'm not even going to say that'd be fun. I, I, I can't bring myself to to pretend I'm, like I can cheer for Tom Wilson, but I, I wish him the best, I suppose. <laughs> um, the other two players that I think are sort of that need to step up while, while Backstrom and uh, Wilson are out are Anthony Mantha and TJ Oshie, mm-hmm. both of whom... You know, I, I mentioned, I think, before we started this uh, the re- to record that I, I chatted with Jesse Granger about the Knights. And in that interview, obviously, every every player we talked about is somebody who missed time last year. I don't think I really realized quite as much until I was researching this episode how many important players for the Caps did miss time last year. <laughs> and and Oshi and Mantha are really two of the, the big ones um, in addition to Backstrom. Um, Oshi, I guess I'll start there turning 36 this year on the books for three more years at almost 6 million per season and is coming off a season where he paced for fewer than 50 points for the first time ever in his career. Even as a rookie, he he at least passed that 50 point plateau. How much do you think the Caps can lean on TJ Oshie next year, given the the holes that they have? Because I, I expect that they don't really have much of a choice. Yeah, TJ is really hard because I feel like Whenever I watch TJ play, I know that he's giving like a million and 10% as cliche mm-hmm. as that sounds, but he is honestly like a hockey guy through and through. He does not watch hockey outside of him playing hockey. He is an instinct guy. He doesn't do the X's and O's. Like he is just in it to play uh, and win. And so I think for him, because he does that and because that's his style of hockey, he's prone to injury. He gets hurt all the time, Mm. uh, which obviously can't happen uh, when you already have a lot of guys that are hurt and you're needing all these holes to be Mm -hmm. filled. So as much as I want to say the Capitals need to rely on TJ Oshie, I I just don't think because of his injury history and the way he plays the game, while it is good, you know, 70, 80% of the time, uh, that 20 to 30% where he's not able to play because of how he plays on the ice is just not helpful. Uh, and not something the Capitals, you know, need slash want um, in their current position. So if TJ can stay healthy, 
if he can, you know, still contribute the way that he does, his kind of energy that he brings to the other guys and his experience on the bench, I think it's great. I think it's just a really hard guy to, to depend on. Not because he's not yeah. good. It's just because that's his style of play. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it tracks. And I mean, it, it shows in the way that he plays, too. Like, he's, a, he's not the biggest guy out there, oh. but he is like... <laughs> he's throwing the body like his body into things like it's not as much like he's out there smashing other people but you can see him throwing himself into the play uh, every time he plays that's and then with mantha you have another guy a power forward who misses four months last season um looking at the time on ice too what what really shocked me about mantha's uh last year is that he played just over 15 minutes a night which again I, not to belabor the rookie season thing but that was his lowest since his rookie season so oh. i guess i'm just curious like having watched mantha since detroit when he was so frustratingly getting moved off of the top line even though they had no talent do you see anthony mantha getting a bigger opportunity this year especially with the injuries at the start of the year so this is a player that I do think the Capitals have to depend on. Uh, okay, we found one. <laughs> we found one. Um, no, I, I really do think they need to give Mantha all the chances, all the opportunities this season to do what he can do and to finally kind of break out and find that role that uh, the Capitals really signed him for. I think he could be that really, really reliable, you know, second line left winger. And they could pair him with a center like Dylan Strom and maybe TJ Oshie's on that line and give him kind of the confidence and the veteran guys next to him to be able to go out and score. And for Mantha, I know he has a bigger body. He's not really a physical player, though. I think he had like 10 or 11 hits in the first game uh, against the Panthers in the first round. And people were like, oh, my God, like, is that Anthony Mantha? And even he was kind of joking us being like, yeah, that's never going to happen again. Like that was an anomaly, like my <laughs> game. and we were like, uh, okay, uh, sure. But um, I do think like he needs to find that balance of, I mean, he was amazing that game. He was honestly a huge difference maker. You saw him on the ice and he needs to find a way to do that and score. And if he can kind of figure that out, I mean, he has the hands. He just, he has to deliver. <laughs> Well, and I mean, we talked about Kuznetsov as one of those guys where you you notice when he's not on, and and I think Mantha is another guy where it's hard to hard to hide Anthony Mantha when he's not dialed in, oh, yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, the Capitals obviously surprised Florida quite a bit with the uh, the first couple games last last playoffs, and uh, it seems like Mantha was a big part of that. So hopefully, he can continue that heading into uh, into twenty twenty three. Um, looking at the rest of the forward group here, obviously the Caps uh, bring in um, paid for Darcy Kemper and net, but they also brought in Dylan Strom on a one-year prove-it deal out of Chicago, and they trade the second-round pick for Connor Brown. Um, again, with the injuries that they're facing heading into this uh, this se- this season, I would imagine that you know at the very least Dylan Strom has a shot here to to book some meaningful minutes. Um, it, do you see, who else on this team, and I'm I'm including Dylan Strom, um, as like being able to fill top six minutes mm-hmm. for the Capitals? Yeah, I definitely think. I mean, this Capitals lineup situation is going to be, I think, a total mess um, when we when we go to training camp, just because there's so many different combinations and ways that the Caps can formulate this. But I do think Dylan Strom is a second line center on this team. Maybe if they wanted to, a second line winger. I do think Connor Brown would actually fit in really nicely on the top line. 
uh, oddly enough, with Tom Wilson out. So I can actually see both of those guys jumping in right away and getting a lot of minutes early. I think where the Capitals are having their biggest question marks and what's going to dictate a lot of this is where and if Connor McMichael plays in this lineup. And, you know, he's a 21-year-old in his second season. Basically, the team really likes him at center, but now the Capitals have too many centers. So it's going to be a little bit of a carousel to figure out if he can play there, if he's going to play at wing, and whether it'll push guys like Strom or Brown up and down the lineup. And I think that's going to dictate a lot um, during training camp. Right. So this is this is the sort of team where, for sure, there are going to be guys who become available as late round steals in fantasy that if you are paying attention to Samantha Pell on Twitter, you're going to know a little bit before uh, your other league mates sort of where you might be able to find that that breakout star because they're going to have to figure out some of these configurations for the first time once they uh, once they arrive for training camp in I, I presume training camp starts in October. I think it's September. I think it's late okay. September. Like, right. I have a feeling they have preseason games around then. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong, but honestly, like, it, it's good that I know that it's like Thursday. That's my that's my winter today. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, and you mentioned Connor McMichael as somebody who, like, if he can get a spot on this lineup, uh, obviously, I think for for Caps fans, he is the the next great hope. Um, <laughs> comes in last year as a rookie 18 points um playing just 10 minutes a night though what do you think laviolette is looking for before trusting mcmichael uh with more regular minutes it's hard because i think with with mcmichael he is still so young and he he i feel like he has all the talent and the you know to be able to be a really good player but he still needs to develop a 200 foot game Uh, He needs Mm -hmm. to be really strong defensively. And I think that's been kind of one of the biggest issues in Washington, at least uh, for the past few years that I've been here is, you know, the Capitals got rid of Jacob Verana because he was great offensively. Uh, He could score a lot when he wanted to, but defensively he just couldn't be trusted Uh, with Kuznetsov. I remember early on felt like he wasn't trusted at all. And coaches were getting really frustrated. Then all of a sudden, LaViolette actually last season put him on the PK. And all of a sudden, Kuznetsov is now this all-around player who can do a lot. So I feel like with McMichael, he needs to be able to show the coaching staff that he not only can kind of be speedy and elusive up the middle and you know help create offense, but he needs to be reliable defensively because this team needs to be reliable on their third and fourth lines to shut down these top lines because you know that an Alex Ovechkin line is probably not going to be the one uh, to stop down a McDavid line. Yeah, that is a, that, that seems like a safe bet on Laviolette's part. Um, we have a lot to talk about on defense, including a, one of the most consistent uh, point producers on the blue line in the NHL. We're just going to take a quick break here. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. Welcome back to Keeping Carlson. We have Samantha Pell here. We're chatting Washington Capitals. Uh, moving into the defense and got to talk about the guy in Washington. It's been John Carlson for years now. Um, last year, he posts a 75-point pace, which I think, honestly, like when I was researching this episode, I did not expect to see him hit that 70-point mark again, just because... I think he got overshadowed by the Kale Makars and the Roman Yossis of the of the last year. 
these massive seasons from guys who haven't necessarily hit those heights before. Meanwhile, you know, ho-hum, just another 70-point season from John Carlson. Um, I don't see any situation in which John Carlson isn't given the exact same role that he's had for years in Washington. I don't really see any reason. You know, he's, he's 32. I don't think that he's going to fall off a cliff or anything next year. So I don't... I don't see a reason to ask you about any sort of uh, potential dramatic situations here, but I guess I'm wondering what you what you think it is about Carlson that keeps him producing at that high level uh, at this point in his career. Yeah, I think with Carlson, I mean, he's always been an offensive-minded guy, and he's always been one to, you know, kind of join the rush and has been able to pick and choose his spots really well. And obviously a lot of guys, uh, I know when he was up for the Norris Trophy, kind of pointed out, well, he is the one guy that feeds Ovechkin on the power play. So really all he has to do is stand there and feed him stuff and he gets <laughs> the point. Um, which, yes, in part is sort of true. Uh, but he doesn't, you know, he does a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy that a lot of the blue liners really depend on. I mean, ever since Brooks Orpik left, um, you know, after that cup run, it's been John Carlson's, you know, position. It, it's been his unit. And Dimitri Orlov has been right there with him. But Carlson is seen as the number one guy who takes command, who knows exactly where everyone is on the ice, who knows everyone's tendencies, and it's just really eloquent and able to kind of figure out what is best for everyone in every situation. And I think what's what's maybe most impressive with Carlson last season is he had a rookie in Martin Ferrari as a D partner for the entire year. And that pair was probably one of Washington's best pairs at some parts of the season. It felt like Ferrari was honestly carrying Carlson at some points in the year. And then Carlson kind of dragged him to the end there. So it feels like, yeah, I mean, Carlson, I just think is an overall all around good player and for him to have a strong person next to him only makes him that much better. That's exciting to hear, I think, especially, you know, these guys sort of reach the back half of their careers. And it is important to sort of find ways to take the stressful pieces away so that they can continue to be dominant at the the fields at which they they excel. So I'm I'm happy to hear that uh, that the Faravari pairing appears to be working well for Carlson. And yeah, as, as somebody who has been drafting John Carlson in fantasy leagues for years now, I have no concerns really about him uh, continuing to produce at a high level in 2023. Um, looking down the lineup, sort of for offensive production on the defense in Washington. <laughs> is a little bit more fraught. I mean, you you could kind of re, um, rely on Justin Schultz a little bit to spell John Carlson when he was hurt on the top power play, or, you know, once in a while, Schultz would kind of heat up on that second unit on his own. And this offseason, obviously, Schultz goes to Seattle. Uh, last year, Orloff had a few stretches where he was able mm-hmm. to be productive offensively, which I found... I. I found consistently surprising as somebody who has a bit of a reputation to not be offensive. Um, but he, he was fairly uh, solid in that role. And then this off season, the caps go out and they bring in Eric Gustafson for a league minimum deal. Obviously they're not looking at him as a, a key piece of this team, but I think he is somebody who fills a, fills a need on that team, which is being able to do to maybe put up some offensive production from the back end. Do you see Gustafson getting a legit shot on this team, maybe uh, uh, as the second option uh, on the power play or or anything, any offensive role available for Gustafson this year? Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult um, for him. I mean, I can see him. You're right. Since losing Schultz, they're going to need a guy there. 
um, on the second power play to kind of fill that role and get something going. So I could definitely see him stepping up. It feels like from the Capitals perspective that he would be kind of the sixth defenseman. He'd be the third pairing next to TVR. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of where he would slot in. Now, I know the Caps have been really pumping up the tires of Lucas um, Johansson, who was a former first rounder and kind of fell off a little bit. Uh, And now it's kind of back in the rotation and they're kind of hoping to see him make the next leap to the NHL next season. So that might actually push uh, Gustafson out of the lineup completely. So it feels like there's still a little bit of movement there, but it seems like there's only one true spot that's up in the air. uh, And it's that one because Orlov and Jensen seem to be the solid second pairing shutdown pairing that the Capitals really want. And it's just going to be a matter of figuring out who's the best fit with TVR and who can help them best uh, on the back end. Yeah, and I mean, that tracks especially as we talk about some of these forwards who they need to lock down their 200-foot game. Eric Mm -hmm. Gustafson, you know, a guy who had a phenomenal season in Chicago on the top power play four years ago or so, but really hasn't been able to get on the ice enough because he does not have that defensive side to his game. So it would be kind of weird, I guess, to bring in a defenseman who can't really play defense and play them while, uh, while, you know, sending down a Connor McMichael or something like that. Yeah, for sure. No, I think it's honestly going to be really interesting. Probably this training camp more interesting than the couple other ones, just because there are so many minor moving parts that then affect, you know, the entire rest of the lineup top to bottom. And so uh, we've talked through kind of the, I guess we've mentioned at least all of the players who are going to play on the blue line this year, uh, at least to start the year. Um, so I'm going to go to goaltending quickly again. And we talked about Kemper and Samsonov earlier, but I wanted to ask about Charlie Lindgren, um, who hasn't been phenomenal everywhere he's been in the NHL. But last year he was lights out in the AHL. And then he comes up for five games when the Blues needed him last year due to injuries and goes 5-0 and in the Blues net. Um and the Capitals give him a three-year deal, which honestly, like giving term to a goalie, I would presume it has to do with just bringing the cap hit down. But obviously, that's a little bit of confidence to give in to a guy who has yet to really prove himself in the NHL. Uh, how important do you think Lindgren is to the Caps' plans next year? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, McClellan was looking at this as, okay, let's go get our number one guy in Kemper, and now let's get a solid option behind him because you know, obviously Kemper is a guy that likes to play as many games as possible. Um, He's not really a rest guy. He wants to get, he wants to get that rhythm and that consistency and really carry that in. But I think with Lindgren, the Capitals, I mean, because they got rid of Samsonov and Vanacek, I think they honestly just wanted to try to find a new face, a new guy, um, you know, one with maybe a little bit more of, they thought consistency to his game um, and experience. So I think he's going to be really, you know, important to the Capitals next season in their plans. I think they are hopeful and I think everyone is pretty uh, hopeful that Kemper is going to, you know, continue his kind of streak and his run next season. But if something does go, you know, where he gets an injury or something, I think Washington is really depending on Lingren to step up and really be a presence in this uh, team. Well, and in fairness, I mean, Kemper, at least in his Arizona days, did struggle with with staying healthy. So, I mean, having a, a second piece, like having a guy who's ready to go does seem pretty important for, for this Caps team because they do not want to be, I mean, there are worse things than being the Caps last year. You could have been New Jersey last year down to like <laughs> fifth and sixth 
goaltenders. But yes. I mean, if you lose Kemper, that is kind of the situation you find yourself in all of a sudden. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, behind Lindgren, there is Zach Vicali, mm-hmm. which, you know, he came out and he had his, you know, he played in his first NHL game and had his first NHL shutout. Uh, so he was a guy that actually a lot of people in Washington believed in pretty early and said, well, look, this guy looks, uh, you know, brand new shiny penny situation, mm-hmm. not VTech or Samsonov. Uh, so let's give him a shot. And, you know, he did actually, he did pretty well. And then, you know, as with anything kind of fell off and, uh, the Capitals gave him another shot. He just didn't pan out. I mean, goes back to the AHL and, you know, goes and has, you know, a pretty solid season the rest of the way, but, I don't think Washington saw him as a viable number two, you know, night in, night out guy, but he is still there um, as a number three option. And so we've talked through the NHL roster at this point. Uh, Samantha, are there looking ahead, I guess, uh, are there any younger players? I know Hendricks Lapierre has been sort of hyped at a few points. Are are there any uh, players in the system that you think that, fantasy managers should be looking forward to or or maybe who could even crack the lineup next year yeah I think I'm trying to think of like for fantasy in particular uh just because Brett Leeson is a guy who the Capitals signed to a one-way deal uh in the offseason and he's not really a really a scorer he's built basically like a Tom Wilson uh, he's a guy that's big and physical, will go out and hit guys and disrupt plays and basically be the one to kind of handle things on the ice, but he really isn't a goal scorer. Alexi Protus is another really big forward. He's a center. He can go out and score, but he really, I think he's played in, I think it was 33 games, uh, last season in the NHL. And he was a guy that wasn't again, a huge goal scorer or points guy, but did, you know, take advantage of this time on ice when needed. So I would say those are the big names that I can think of that would come up, but there really isn't like a, a Connor McMichael kind of waiting in the wings that I think it is Connor McMichael. <laughs> yes. So speaking of McMichael, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, he has all the talent. Uh, he just needs to develop that 200 foot game and, and become a more complete player. I guess having seen him over the past year or so, you're, you're obviously getting more of a, you know, a, a regular fill on, and getting a, a stronger sense of that player. How do you see McMichael filling out now? Do you still see him as a guy who is a future top line player for this Capitals team? I, it's hard because I, I feel like at this point, he's maybe a year ahead of schedule. I don't think the Capitals really thought that he would even be kind of competing for a spot as, you know, a number two, number three center um, at this point in kind of his career. And he was a younger guy when he came to Hershey. So I do think from that standpoint, uh, he still has a few years before we can truly see his major potential with Washington. But I do think that just the way that he plays, I mean, he's a smart guy. He's been learning from Nicholas Backstrom and Lars Eller and Evgeny Kuznetsov. And he's been able to kind of see the tendencies of a lot of guys and work with face-offs with Nick Dowd a lot. So I do think he has the potential to be a pretty solid center. I don't know if he will ever be the top line center uh, for Washington or for any other team in the league, but I just think right now it's so hard because you look at him and you're like, he's a little undersized um, for being in the NHL, but you know, if he bulks up in the summer and he comes in and he's worked on his 200 foot game and he is confident with the puck in the offensive zone and wants to go out and make that play. I think there was a lot of times last year where 
it seemed like he had the open net or he had the shot and he didn't take it or he took it and it went wide. So I think for him, it's almost all there. He just seems to put it together. Excellent. Samantha, thank you so much. You've answered all of the questions that we had for you today. Um, Where can our listeners go to find your work? Where would you like to be found? Yes. Um, (laughs) I would say all my work is on WashingtonPost.com and uh, my whole life is on Twitter at uh, Samantha J. Pell. I feel like, yeah, every capitals update, every story, uh, everything is on there for better or for worse. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we look forward to hopefully having you on the show again soon. Absolutely. 